Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is your host, Seth Green. Today, I've got the good fortune to be interviewing our very own Carl McKinney. Carl, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Mr. Green. All right. Well, we are not here to talk business today. We're here to talk about sports. So let's go back in time just a little bit. What was the first sport you fell in love with? And when did you start playing? When I was, you know, I actually played soccer and hockey before I did anything else. I was like five or six years old. Um, and, you know, I loved the, the competition and all the good stuff, but I really fell in love with track and field when I got to Canisius High School, um, mainly because I was really bad. Okay, so that's interesting. You fell in love with track and field because you were really bad. Normally, you can see on every team, like there's one kid who's obviously like the best player who's blowing by people or who's knocking people over or who's scoring more goals or whatever. And you're like, that kid should be on an even better team. That kid has talent. You're telling, okay, so how'd you find out you were bad at track and field? (laughs) My my first 100-yard dash. As a freshman, uh, Mr. Skipper, who's a the varsity track coach, I love him. He came over and said, oh, you thought about baseball? I literally ran something like 12, I don't know, 12 something in the 100 yard dash. My form was horrible, um, wasn't good. And in, incredibly, I won. Everybody else was like worse. And that just stoked a fire. So I figured I want to be good at this. And I really started training and It was before the internet. So believe it or not, I spent time in the library getting books on getting my form better, getting stronger, getting better. And my senior year, uh, Mr. Skipper retired from track coach because he'd never have, he said he'd never have another meet. Wow. That's one heck of a compliment. Yeah. What did you accomplish in those years that led him to say that? Well, I went from being this horrible guy to uh, senior year, you know, you have to have a qualifying time to make the all-Catholic meet. And I qualified in the 100, 200, 400, 800 mile, two mile, triple jump, long jump, high jump, and even the discus. And I was the best qualifier in the one, two, four, and 800. Um, and I was a state champion in the 400. We were also state champions in the four by one relay from Canisius High School. And then talk, and then uh, where'd you go uh, to college? Actually, I spent a year at Buff State for some ridiculous reason, really because I liked the coach and he helped me develop. I went from a pretty good high school guy to a, to a world-class indoor 600-meter um, runner 
under Mike Colby's tutelage. And um, then I went on to San Diego State, which was a no-brainer. I got, I got an 18-year-old kid, got a recruiting trip to San Diego State, and uh, my major was chemistry. They had a great chemistry program, but the, the, uh, the, the nail in the coffin that drove me there was the athletic director saying, hey, you know, there's uh, 45,000 students here and 37,000 are women. And I was, I was an 18 year old boy, so. And you got out of the snow. <laughs> out of the snow into the perpetual sunshine and it was great. Uh, so how did your career evolve in the years over at San Diego State? Um, well, I, I went from being, you know, kind of national class to world-class level. I ran some uh, pretty, pretty world-class times in the 400 and 800. I had exposure to guys that were my idol, <laughs> uh, namely the guy, Steve Williams who was number one in the world in the 100 meters forever. Uh, every Olympic, though, he'd pull a hamstring, honestly. 76, 72, 76, and then 80. He even made the team, and we boycotted. But he was the fastest man in the world. But he, he was a San Diego State guy, and he was my idol. And one day I was warming up, and this, this six-foot-two guy with, you know, zero, zero body fat stands over me and goes, hey, coach says you want to meet me. And I was like, you know, a girl at a concert, like, oh, my God. So I had exposure to those guys, um, the Italian national team. I trained with Pietro Mania, who eventually had the world record in the 200 meters. I trained with Daley Thompson. Um, so a lot of exposure to, you know, guys that I'd seen on television. And then all of a sudden, I was one of those guys that people were seeing on television, which was kind of cool. <laughs> what were some of the adversities you had to overcome along the way? Well, I wasn't gifted. I had to train. I had to really bust my butt. My my brother, on the other hand, for instance, is just a natural. He's as good an athlete as Deion Sanders. I mean, he had the world record for nine and under high jumps, high jumpers at nine. He was he had to like five, six at nine. My myself, I had to train. I had to really, really work at it. And I was a chemistry major. So, you know, sports at the division one level is a full-time job. Um, but I had to keep my grades up. The track coach was from Buffalo. He called my parents once a week. I couldn't get away with stuff. I, st I didn't go to class for a while and we just went and took the exams. And I still had a 4-0. And the coach found out, him and my dad agreed that I would miss the Hawaii track meet. Never missed another class. So, so those, those were kind of adversity. You, know, you had to work at stuff. It, it wasn't given to me. I wasn't that natural guy. And I, I had to keep my grades up, you know, and... Um, there's, there's other things you had to do. And fortunately, I did. I had an injury that ended my career. I could have come back, but I didn't want to. Honestly, the ego wouldn't let me go from being third in the world to 23rd or 20th. And because I really worked at school, I had a degree. I could do something else. And I never did it. I never did chemistry. I got bit by the sales bug, which ultimately, years later, led me to work for this company called Market Domination. You may be familiar with those guys. I, I might have founded that company. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so talk a little bit about, because um, you've got some relationships with, you know, other athletes, oh, other organizations, yeah. kind of how did those come about? Well, I, you know, I did play football. Um, I was much better at track, honestly. Did you play football and, at San Diego State or somewhere yeah, else? At San Diego State. And I was... Um, Were you and, playing uh, D1 football then and D1 oh, track at the same time? Yeah, it's, it's tough to do. <laughs> I think tough is an understatement. One division, one sport is a full-time job. How on earth did you pull off two? Yeah. It, it's tough to do because you have spring football. So you have to get out of spring football to run track. And then you have fall track. So you have to get out of fall track to play football. And the coaches, in my case, I was a little guy, you know, five, seven, hundred and 
hundred and you know fifty five, fifty eight pounds during track season, hundred seventy during football season. So you, it, it, it's tough to do. <laughs> um, you know, my relationships were kind of because my family. Um, you know, my brother's an athlete. Brian McKinney played for the Ravens. We we have a lot of football relationships. My brother still works for the NFL. Um, and athletes know athletes. Um, you know, we we kind of know it. It's, it's a fraternity. Uh, even the even the most gifted guys still have to work, and we recognize the work and sacrifices that people have to do to compete at a particular level. Um, Absolutely. So that, what positions you play for football? Well, you know, when I was a kid, I was a running back. Everybody wanted to be OJ Simpson, <laughs> um, but too small to be a division running back. Just occasionally throw me a pass, and it was prior to little fast guys playing slot receiver. We were just kind of a safety valve guy. Like we called it flanker back. It wasn't even called slot receiver then. I guess I'm telling my age. And no, we didn't have leather helmets. I'm not that old. I've what, been asked that by kids, actually. <laughs> what is What was your pre-game or pre-track meet routine to get yourself in the right mental and emotional state to perform at such a high level? Um, I, I went off by myself. Um, I had the absolute worst pre-meet, pre-game meal that of any player, every coach I've ever said, Carl, oh my God, not again. My pre-meat meal was McDonald's. <laughs> it was the same thing, double cheeseburger, filet of fish, fry, an apple pie, and a chocolate chip. And I still buy that when I go to McDonald's today. And, um, <laughs> but I will go off by myself and visualize what I wanted to accomplish. If it was a race, while I'm stretching and warming up, I do it with my eyes closed and I would see myself running the race and winning the race. If it was a game, I would see myself contributing to the team and we and us winning. Um, it was just just quiet time by myself. And people kind of knew to leave me alone when people bothered me once they knew not to do it again, because typically I'm kind of, you know, I don't just curse everybody out, but I would let you have it if you bothered me during my pre-meet or pre-meal, pre-game -pre uh, time. How did you handle the pressure? Wow. Um, well, winning alleviates pressure. <laughs> um, so, you know, interestingly enough, right before the the races, the pressure's greatest. You know, when when they when they say things like "last call for the 400 meter," you know, you got to get to the track. You, it, it's like you're ready to explode. Um, and and I dealt with it. And what one of the things I learned from my high school coach, Mr. Skipper, was you do the very best you can do on a given day, depending on the circumstances, and you won. It doesn't matter if you're in fourth, fifth, or sixth place. If you've done your best, you're a winner. So I'd always prepare myself just to give it my all, just to leave everything on the track, do my best. How has that theme kind of continued throughout your pursuit of excellence in your careers throughout the rest of your life? Well, in sales, um, sales is kind of like baseball in that you have to be a failure to be a success. You're, you're going to get told no by more people that tell you yes. So if I've given that person the very best information I can give them and given it my best shot, they, and they say no, ultimately they're not saying, really saying no, they're just saying based on the information you've given me so far, not yet. So I move on to the next person. And as long as I continue to do my best, um, good things will happen. And you may go through periods where you don't. I mean, in baseball, guys have slumps. But you continue to do it, good things will happen. 
Amen to that. What did you like best about your involvement in sports and your athletic career? Winning. Winning's fun. Um, yeah, winning. You know, I like the competition. I like track because it was it was just me. I didn't have to depend on somebody to block or throw the ball or anything. It's me. And, you know, and, and uh, it, you and I on the track, I'm in lane four, you're in lane five, unless you get to that line first. Um, I like that that competition, you know, and it's always nice to see your name in the top of the board. Absolutely. What if you could give your younger self any advice, knowing what you know now, what would you tell young Carl? Whew. Work harder. Work a little harder. You may have left some stuff on the on the field that you probably could have done um, during your high school years and developed a little sooner. And uh, don't retire so quick. You should have came back and gave it another year or two after your injury. That's great advice. Anything else you want to share about lessons you've learned from the gridiron or the track? Yes, absolutely. You you keep at it. That's something we touched on earlier. You keep, it's, it's repetition. Um, you know the things that you do well. You know the things that are necessary in your given pursuit. You keep doing them, and you do them, and you do them, and you do them. There are people that won't appreciate them, so there are people that won't respond to them, so. But if they're the right things done with the right spirit, with the right energy, good things will happen. You went to the land of of Californication. Um, it wasn't. <laughs> quite the same back then obviously a lot, lot lot probably a lot freer less taxes um you got perpetual sunshine and yet you can't ended up back in buffalo how did that happen well I, you know moved around i was in new york city for 20 plus years and my mother got sick um and uh she needed she needed me she wanted me to help her and my wife and i were going back and forth from new york to buffalo and, and that got expensive when you do it two or three times in a week so Buffalo was home for her, her as well, and her mother got sick. So it, we ended up back in Buffalo. Um, cost of living is a lot different. I just saw yesterday the average rent in Manhattan is now $5,500 a month. You get um, a very nice house for that in Buffalo. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we both moved back, and, uh, and we'll be here. We're in Buffalo. It's home. Cost well, we're, 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 we're sorry about your moms, but we're glad you we're, we're selfishly <laughs> glad you ended up back in Buffalo. Well, thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, we greatly appreciate your time. We know it's incredibly valuable. Um, anything else you want to share that I didn't think to ask you? Um, no, listen, I'm, I'm glad to be part of Market Domination. I really think um, we're building something really, really special. I mean, you've already done it, and we're just kind of trying to put the cherry on top of the Svengali's uh, efforts. I think well, maybe we'll have to change our slogan to that. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, this has been Seth Green for Sharkpreneur with Carl McKinney. Um, Carl, thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Seth. Thanks, everybody, for watching or listening. We will talk to you or see you next time. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet, and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free perfect pitch cheat sheet.
Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.